Fantastic Book Club. Welcome to Books We Hate with your host, Marielle and Angelica. And this week we're going to be talking about part one of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Yes. Um, so before we do anything in terms of our hot takes, we need to read our book summary, uh, which is really just going to be a non Spoiler alert, this podcast is a lot of spoilers. Yes. Just don't listen to it if you're planning on reading the book. That's not the point of this. Yes. We will be talking about everything that's happened in the book up into part one. Um, So if you have not read the book, please shut it down. (laughs) Come back after you've read the book. Um, Because, yeah, you won't be happy at us. Okay, so before we get started, let's talk about last week we did Where the Crawdads Sing. Both of us hated it. By Delia Owens. We hated it. Very much hated it. Uh, So I got a lot of feedback from people who follow me on Instagram that they, well, it was either people who loved it or hated it, probably because that's the people who are triggered to respond to my... um, post about it um but it was just interesting the people who loved it I would go into detail passionately about all my things and then they were like oh yeah I guess you're right like I didn't really think about that <laughs> like it was like I proved them wrong but it yeah oh did people seem happy about that were they like enlightened and they were like oh you're right and also do you feel like I think that's kind of like a little bit of how I'm feeling about this book is that I think you have to forego um, a lot of integrity in order to enjoy that book. Okay. Yeah. So I, yeah, what a lot of people said to me was like, one, if they liked it, they read it a while ago. Two, it was like, one person said like, oh, I think you're smarter than me. Which is not true. This girl just graduated law school. It wasn't Beth, but like, okay. I, like I'm not smarter. I just am a little more critical. But I don't even remember on recording last week I said this, but I typically read nonfiction, so I feel like I come to fiction books in a really critical uh, way. I just am really judgmental of like what's realistic and like what's believable, and that book was not. We won't. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to that. But, yeah. It was, I liked getting the feedback. I liked talking about it. So, I like hearing, like, people's opinions of, like, if they did like it, why? Yeah, because it's really easy when your opinion is right to talk to people who are wrong. So, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and then, Um, like, tell them how they're wrong. It's really fun to do that. It's helpful, and you should do that as a person in society to be, like, generous to other people. Well, Correct them when they're wrong. I think, especially for this journey for me, because I don't really read fiction, I would like to hear what people see because maybe I'm seeing it in the wrong way. Like you were saying, like, kind of setting aside morals to read it and enjoy it like I mean that's like a harsh way of putting it but like maybe I'm just like not reading it the right way or like being too critical I don't know like I think it's good to see things from other people's lenses and hear what they would their 
thoughts. What we're saying is when you listen to this, if you have <laughs> opinions, things you want to add, agree, disagree, whatever, hey, it's welcome. Let us know. Don't be mean, but like, yeah, like please do so because we welcome the challenge. Um, yeah. But you know, but also like leave your feelings at the door because if you're prepared to be like, I'm, this is my opinion and like, we're going to fight back on it. That's what we do. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Bold claims. We said that in the last podcast. We're making bold claims and yeah. that's it. It's and all hot takes. That's it. The whole thing. Hot yeah. takes about books we hate. Or any books. Um, great. Okay. Well, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Oh, and then I wanted to say another thing that I said last week that I was just straight up wrong about. Um, <laughs> I said that Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, the book we're doing this week, is my friend's favorite book. And uh, that's actually not true. I always constantly am getting this book confused with East of Eden for no particular reason. I don't even know what East of Eden is about. And this is the first time I've ever read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. So I just get them confused in my mind because I guess like the Garden of Eden and then Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I just can't seem to separate them. Gardens, biblical themes. So I just wanted to clear the air because apparently when I told that to somebody, when I said it to my sister, she was just a little bit shocked that that was my friend's favorite book. She was like, I don't think that it is. I, we were shocked when we, yeah, we were shocked when we mentioned it too, because I was like, that book is a little bit racist. Yeah, it's, anyway, okay, well, let's segue into it then. Um, hop on your little segue, let's get into it. <laughs> let's segue into it. I, I will read. Marielle, why don't you read us the back of Midnight of the Garden, or <laughs> Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. And who's the author on that? John Berent. Berent? Don't ask me author names. I really don't care about authors. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> Marielle, you go ahead. Read the back of the book. Okay. And just so everyone knows, this okay. is a spoiler. We are going to be getting into it. I want to say it again. If you haven't read the book and you want to, we are going to be talking about everything in it, at least up until part one. You'll be upset. <laughs> don't yeah. listen. Don't don't go trying to hurt yeah. your own feelings. Yeah. That's all. Just Don't break yeah. your own heart. Yeah. Why? Who needs that? In quarantine? Come on. Okay. So, Marielle. Tell us what the book is about. So, I would love to. Okay, first of all, I just want to mention that this had four years on the New York Times bestseller list. I'd like to know which four years those are, oh, to wait, be honest. when was this book written? Sorry. Oh, I can't. I'm so glad that you asked because I freaking highlighted it because I knew that you wouldn't be able to find it. That's um, a little bit rude. Thanks. That's it. Copyright 1994. Okay, that's, I suspected it was, like, from the 90s. Still not okay. okay. Genteel society ladies who compare notes on their husband's suicide. A hilarious, foul-mouthed black drag queen. A voodoo priestess who works her roots in the graveyard at midnight. A morose inventor who, own, who owns a bottle of poison powerful enough to kill everyone in town. 
a prominent antiques dealer who hangs a Nazi flag from his window to disrupt the shooting of a movie, and a redneck gigolo whose conquests describe him as a walking streak of sex. These are some of the real residents of Savannah, Georgia, a city whose eccentric moors and un... Unearingly? Unearingly? Unearingly. Because that's a double R. But eerie, you know. I don't think that's what that means. Whatever. Who cares? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Who cares? Who, um... You know what? This comes back to the author then, okay? (laughs) Use words that people know. Okay. These are some of the real residents of Savannah, Georgia, a city whose eccentric moors and unearingly observed and whose dirty linen is gleefully aired, is in this utterly irresistible book, at once a true crime murder story and a hugely entertaining and deliciously perverse travelogue. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil is as bracing and intoxicating as half a dozen mint juleps. That's interesting. I don't even think they drank any mint juleps. They did which not. Is funny that they said that because they mentioned a different drink. The wine, whatever the wine was called. I forgot. Chablis? No, that's the dry queen. Yeah, but she's named Chablis because oh, of the yeah. wine. No, there is another wine that um, the first chapter, um, what was his name? John? James. James. Jim. That Jim was telling <laughs> Jim about. Um, it was straight vodka. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he did have some straight vodka. Um... <laughs> It doesn't matter. Who cares? Anyways, that's weird that they said Minjul loves. But so Mm. I guess like to get into everything, I mean, it's hard to say for me to give this book a rating because I've only read half of it so far. Um, Yeah. But yeah. And do you want to, should we do that? Let's get into it. So far. Side note, really quick. Side note, real quick. When you're reading from the book, make sure that your head is up. Otherwise, you're going to sound like you're speaking down into your chest, and it's going to be really awfully projected. So you have to keep your head up. It's just a theater tip from being in the theater. Um, that Sorry, I, I wasn't a loser. <laughs> Sorry, I was a jock, so. It was super Z. No. Oh, good luck writing our fucking jingle for this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, why don't you tell me about part one, what your rating is? Well, I think, I don't want to be, okay, so for the first half of the book, uh, I would I would go ahead and give another two out of five. Okay, so I read this book, my best friend from home moved to Savannah, and I read this book because she read it because she was moving to Savannah. Um, and then we went to a lot of these places. So there is like such a part of me that as I'm reading it, like Savannah is exquisitely beautiful. It is crazy how, and especially because like, oh, it's so weird. Like it's, you feel just like slower. You just feel like you want to like saunter along some lamplit streets at night and like yeah. have a little champagne this makes hand. me want to and there's also open bottles. i was gonna say this makes me want to go to savannah like i've never been and it really makes me want to go it is so gorgeous and i would recommend i've been several times and i was recognizing places like even the the cover of the book 
that mm-hmm. that picture. I've been there and seen that. And I've been to the graveyard that they go to and to Clary's. Like, Kat and I went and got breakfast there. So, sorry, not to, like, cut you off, but so why are you giving it a two? Because there's also, like, really problematic ways that fucking the author writes about this. This is nonfiction. Yeah. And, so, yeah. I didn't know that. So, is this author... Neither did I. Is this author the guy from New York? Yes, he's in New York. The narrator? Yeah. Like, is he... So, this is an actual thing. Like, he actually went there. Correct. Yes. Which also... Okay. I also think it's really fucking weird that he goes to Savannah to, like, just to, like, snoop around on people and be like, I'm gonna get to know Savannah Elite. And then there happens to be a murder. Yeah. Isn't that fucking weird? Like, how... How unplanned, that could have never been planned. He's like, I'm going to write this story, and then all of a sudden there's a fucking murder. In, like, society. But this doesn't say a true story on here. Girl. Was it just based on a true story? Turn over the book. In the top left-hand corner, what does it say? Nonfiction literature? (laughs) Mine's really uh, crinkled. Oh. A lot of wear and tear for never really reading this book. Oh. Um, it's a hand-me-down book for my sisters. But, okay, that's real weird. Because um, I I think that would have changed the way I read it. <laughs> that would have changed the way that I, I listened to it on Audible. That would have changed the way that I yeah. listened to it. Because I was, like, thinking of it as, um, like... You t- you had told me it was non it was based on a true story or like that it was true. I didn't realize that it was considered nonfiction. I thought it was still fiction, but just like true somewhat. That he no. took the liberty to, which is why I think it's That's weirder. Strange like, the fact that he just went down there like he, so everything in his book he's saying is like true too, which also makes it like ah uh, like. Okay, I want to get into the way that he talks about fucking Danny and his first, like, one of those girls, uh, Corrine, and... Yeah. Well, let's not get... That... Should we go in order of the people that get introduced into the book? First of all, Danny's introduced within the first chapter, so technically I know, but then Corrine isn't in the first part. Then the first person Um, we talk about is Jim. Yes. So, let's talk about Jim. (laughs) Let's fucking talk about Jim. Oh, wait. I didn't give a rating. <clears throat> I would rate the first chapter. Well, so, again, I didn't know that it was, like, categorized as nonfiction, which is, um, I guess, an oversight on my part, but I've never claimed to be detail-oriented, so That's whatever. Um, I kind of liked it. Like, it was at least a, a little more engaging than the the last book where the crowd had saying like I hated that book I was not engaged was not into it at all wasn't even this I'm at least like intrigued like I want to read the second part I want to see what happens I would give it a three like I don't love it but I but I want to see like I'm still invested in it where like where the crowd had saying I was not invested at all I guess I shouldn't just get be comparing it to that book but um, yeah, I, I'll say, I'll give it a three because I'm invested. I care about the characters, so. Okay, um, I, 
I feel like maybe part of me too, like because I've been to Savannah, that I'm just like, maybe I'm a little bit spoiled because I've been to Savannah and I've seen these places and it like makes me think of like, makes me think of Kat and like makes me feel like I want to go back there and blah, blah, blah. But I, but the rest of the content, like especially I think because my friend Kat worked in the service industry, which is like, it is so clear the difference between the service industry of Savannah and the like the elite of Savannah. And the way in which that separation, like, yeah. manifests itself, the service industry is very tight. They look out for each other. They support each other because the elite don't give a shit about them. Um, like, when Savannah, yeah. you know, shut down for the quarantine, there were so many people who, like, went out the last few nights before they got quarantined because they knew that, like, the entire service industry would be broke as fuck. And, like, you don't, like, it's it's just, like, it sucks. Um, because also, like, even for, um, like, what you would make an hourly as a, um, as, like, uh, a host or hostess or, like, bartender or whatever, um, in the service industry is, like, a dollar twenty-five or something like that. It's not mm-hmm. even, like, it's not, like, seven, I think it's, like, seven dollars up here or something like that. <laughs> All I was saying was that I think, um, I feel like it's, it's, it's hard to read this book and not feel like there's an entire other portion of Savannah that's underrepresented in what he's talking about. Like if, you know, if he was there to like get a taste of Savannah, so much of Savannah is also like an equal part of the Savannah social elite is also Mm -hmm. the service industry. And to not at all represent that demographic is what I think I'm bothered by. Yeah. So yeah, I can see that. Um, I guess for me, like that's not the story he's telling though. So I see it as kind of, like, I actually, to be honest, I wasn't sure what time period this was written in. Like, I knew he referenced a couple dates. Like, he was talking about um, somebody who died in the 70s. And I was like, well, that's weird because I'm not really sure when he's taught, like, when this book is supposed to be, like, set. Again, because I didn't do my due diligence of, like, looking at the date. But honestly, as an author, he should have written the date on it, like, he should have been a little more clear. Like, what? why would I have to go in to look when the book was written of, I don't know. Anyways, it's very much written like a fiction book, so I'm just a little bit confused. Yes. Um, yeah. But I would say, like, the story he's telling is about these particular people. Um, so, it. I don't know, like, I see it as, like, just it makes a little more sense to me the leaving some people out because he's telling it about specific people that he's meeting do you know what I mean yeah it just like he didn't make any effort to meet anybody like whenever he talked about like wait staff or anything like that like arguably the wait staff has a lot of hot gossip that like contributes to the storyline of a lot of these characters that he never even like interacts with like he acts like a social elite as much as anybody else who's in the social elite. And whenever he talks about, like, the help staff or, like, people who are working at the house or people who are serving at the houses, like, he really just brushes over them or, like, only talks about people in ways that, like, infantilizes them or, like, doesn't demean them directly but just, like, makes them seem unimportant. And I'm not saying that that's, like, I just think that, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like those are also people that have a lot of hot gossip to, like, to tell about 
stuff because they're witnessing all of it. Yeah. And to have that be... I would say he writes that way about everyone, though. Like, he just kind of, like, demeans, or, like, you know, like, dismisses people in some ways. Yeah. He writes very much like a journalist. Like, very... Especially, like, I know that we want to go in order of the characters, but the way that he talked about Shibley really bothered me. Um, So much. So much. Like, I really like the character Shibley, so the way that, like the narrator spoke about her even in his internal dialogue was really upsetting to me. I agree. And also, I also just want to correct, Shibli's not a drag queen. She's a woman. Sorry. I was just thinking maybe we should save that, like talk about Shibli later. So keep stay on gym right that. now. Yeah. Yes. Because like, I think, I know like it's blowing my mind that this is a, a true story um so that's like a little bit weird and Shibley is like a great example of that being like a big fucking weird like yeah just like real weird um but let's talk about Jim which is also weird all the characters in here I mean I know that like everybody has their own way of being interesting like humans are interesting okay that's great But, like, everybody he talks about is, like, so, it's very much, like, creating a narrative about them, not actually getting to know them. Right. There's something that Jim says that I think is pretty true based on, like, my experience. Um, And it's on page 30 when he says, uh, that's because we've always been a party town. We love company. We always have. I suppose that comes from being a port city and having played host to people from faraway places for so long. And I think that's true. And I think that that's part of the reason why, like, if, you know, like, if all of this is directly quoted, I don't disbelieve that people are this charismatic and, like, entertaining and, and character-driven because if you play hostess as a, um, a city concept then you probably are a little bit, like, character acting. If, like, all you have is that you wear a straw hat and a white linen shirt, you somehow can make it interesting because there's the time mm-hmm. to do it. If you commit to wearing it every single yeah. day, then that's your thing. Like, your white linen shirt and hat guy. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a big part of it. Yeah. I, um... I, so... I'll say, like, at the beginning of the book when Jim is introduced and that relationship, like, starts, I think of Jim as, like, the type of person who, like, I kind of hate but also is so charming that I'm just, like, "Mm, I'll come to your parties. Like, and, like, you just, like, joke around with them and you're, like, I kind of like you. Like, I feel like I should hate you. But, like, you're, you're annoying. You're braggy. You're, like, you're, like, a guy that, like, would probably get on my nerves but like in a way of like yeah I'm friends with him (laughs) um and like somebody that you would want to like you okay I almost mentioned somebody by name that we mutually know but I won't say their name because that's not fair um there's definitely problematic things that he did or said but he was just so lovable that it was kind of like but you you just love him yeah 
But I would say he's not like Jim. No, but I'm just yeah. relating the idea that like even though he says stuff that I'm I absolutely cringe at and cannot stand, I also am like it's fun. Yeah. He's great. He's a sweet baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think like, you know, I, to say I don't know people like that is wrong because I do know somebody like that. <laughs> and it's just like immediately I hate them and like them at the same time. And I think that's how I feel about Jim. Like immediately I hate him. Like I think that he's so annoying. Like the way he's talking about like antiques and flying all over and like whatever, like how he's like acting like he's so cool. I hate it, but I also like it. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. Like you seem, I like the way he talks about it. I don't know. I don't like him. I I feel like, He's charmed me. He's charmed me. He hasn't. I feel like, unfortunately, I feel like Joe has charmed me, where, like, I fucking, Mm -hmm. I love to hate Joe. I love Joe has charmed me, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Joe has really charmed me, too. I can't go to the South, because everyone will just charm me, and (laughs) it's charmed. I, the first time I went to Savannah, I, I swear I fell in love with a bartender. Like, I swore it in the moment. I was like... I'm going to marry this bartender that I don't even know the name of because I was just so charmed. Like, it just happens. I don't know. It's like the Southern drawl and, like, they're serving you drinks and they're like, they're two bucks for a fucking cocktail. And you're like, take my money, sir. (laughs) Oh, gosh. You want to marry me? That's so cute. Um... Yeah, no, I, I honestly, like, I'm pretty much charmed by everyone in this book except for the narrator. <laughs> yeah, okay. You, did you ever read Great Gatsby? Um, no, but I watched the movie. <laughs> Hi. Well, Actually, I probably did read Great Gatsby at some point in my youth. Okay, but you'll still get this. I feel like the narrator in this book reminded me of Tom. Where it was just, like, by the end of the book, you're just, like, fuck you. Like, what is your problem? Why didn't you... You were literally a useless wet towel. Like, Yeah. Well, why? that's, like, I forget if I said this before, but I feel like it's written, like, investigative journalism, but, like, with before the murder even happens. <laughs> like, he's, like, getting all these people's stories, and it's, like, what are you, Sarah Koenig? Like, why are you... What are you doing? Like... It just is, like, what, I don't know. I don't really like him, but I like all the characters. So I think that's why I, like, like it so far. And I wanted, I want to know what happens to all the characters because I'm invested in them. Yeah. Um, Me too. So when I did read it, I was supposed to finish it and then, like, chat with Kat about it. And I didn't finish it. But I got very close to the end. I just was so upset with the way that he talked or, like, that he gave narratives to some characters where I was like, I feel like I'm getting to know the characters through their voice, the parts that are like quoted and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like not that, like, who knows if I was mentioned in a book that was like five times New York times bestseller. I don't fucking, I mean, I would care a little bit how I was represented, but I would care less because I'd be like, I'm in a book. Like it's like being in a song. Like I'm sure there are people that don't like that they're in a song, but they are a little bit. <laughs> Taylor but... Swift and Kanye. <laughs> you still, yeah, you still are like, that's... I'm in a fucking song. Yeah. I feel like no, they would have. That's not mm-hmm. the same. That's, no, nope. that was the only thing I could think of, but that's okay. no. Um, I know what you mean, but. You'd still be flattered that you're in a book, and so you wouldn't complain, because you're like, I don't want my part to be taken out. 
But I do feel like there's some ways in which he talked about some characters that I was like, I don't, I think you're representing them from such a narrow point of view. Let's just get into it. Let's just talk about Shibli because... Let's fucking get it. Yes, because I honestly, like, I love Shibli. Like, I love everything that she says. I love the way she represents herself in the quotes that he uses. And I hate, absolutely hate, capital H-A-T-E, hate the way he talks about her. Yes. Like, even the fact, I was thinking the, what, there was, um, he called her sassy immediately. And it just, like... Mm-hmm immediately rubbed me the wrong way like and then he said he said something else and I I didn't mark it what he said but like he just was using these adjectives for her that were like you are trying to like you're forcing this picture you're not actually being creative about how you're displaying this you're forcing like some stereotype onto this person it was yeah I I did highlight exactly when that happened just let me find it really quickly. Okay, um, on page 99. Not that Shibli didn't fascinate me. She haunted me. Shut the fuck Oh my god, and then, yeah, keep reading, because... <clears throat> and she was definitely a she and not a he. I felt no tendency to self- stumble self-consciously over pronouns in her case. Congratulations. Um, she keep had going. <laughs> She had removed any trace of masculinity, in, and in that sexual limbo of hers, she was a disturbing presence, one that challenged disturbing. all the natural, one that challenged all the natural responses. Fucking get out of here with your heteronormative, cisgendered, white boy bullshit. Yeah. What he's saying is he's attracted to Chablis, and he's scared of what that means about him. Get the yeah. fuck over it. Like, that was... Oh, my God. I just, like, don't understand... That- to call to say disturbing and to keep haunting yeah like using these adjectives is that what they are (laughs) using these adjectives to describe her in like a way if you if she wasn't transgender would you be describing a woman that way no because he doesn't describe other women that way like you're specifically talking about this because it's uncomfortable for you. And again, I mean, not again, but like, I understand that this is his narrative and his story, but it's just like everything else, like most, not everything, but like most of the rest of the way he describes people, I'm like, okay, whatever. I, that's fine. Like, I, I can understand how, yeah, that's acceptable. But just the way that he talks about her, I really don't like. And then it's weird because it's like they're friends and he like accepts it, but then he accepts it because she's pretty. No, because it's it's not about him accepting it. Shibli doesn't fucking care whether or not he accepts it. She needs him to drive her from her doctor's (laughs) appointment home. Like, she doesn't fucking give a shit. Because she shouldn't. And to, like, put it in the position where he's like, I haven't decided yet. Well, congratulations. Nobody cares if you decide or whether you like her or not or whether you approve of her. But I also wanted to say this part that he says on page 101 where he's talking about, um, oh, what is, what is his name? Jeff. Okay. This, then, was the one who, as Chablis had put it, satisfied her every need. It was hard to imagine exactly what those needs might be. Harder still. Exactly. Are you 
so upsetting oh. that just okay because it's like what do you mean it's hard to imagine like maybe the needs of a human being maybe that, maybe just like maybe those ones it's not that hard to imagine it's um, actually pretty easy to it's imagine. actually pretty <laughs> and honestly if we go into it it's gonna turn into a way different podcast than we're doing right now but and then goes on to say harder still to envision what sort of person would satisfy them what sort of person? Maybe just a fucking regular person. And then, yet, apparently, here he was. By all outward appearances, he was normal, even wholesome. So what he's suggesting is that no normal, wholesome person would ever want to be with Shipley. That's yeah. fucked up. That's where I'm like, fuck you. Yeah, so I... All of that is very upsetting to me, but I think the reason I don't, he was writing it in his opinion and he wasn't saying it as like, this is, it, it was easy for me to see it as like, okay, this is, at, at the time I was thinking this was fiction. This is this character's opinion. I don't like the narrator, but that's fine. I don't have to like the narrator. I wasn't seeing it as like, the way that this person is actually perceived by other people or like not like this what I was thinking was wow this narrator is like really white and close-minded like classic and that's all I saw it as I so I think that's why I don't like I it really bothers me and is really annoying that he sees it that way but I don't think it makes the book any less because it's like all it does is make me not like his character. Like I, that's, and I think it's okay to read a book and not like someone's character. So I'm reading the narrator as a character, not as the author of a book. And like his opinions are, I don't see it as his opinions matter. I see it as like this character is stupid. Okay. Yes. But at the same time, I also feel like the, the thing yeah. that I have a problem with is that it's setting a, an ideal, a standard. You're saying that like, it's not normal for someone to be trans and it's not normal for someone to like someone who's not only is it not normal, it's haunting for someone to be trans, yeah. but then it's also not normal or wholesome for someone to be with somebody or like somebody who's trans. And that's my yeah. problem because I'm like, you're setting a standard or you're assuming a standard of the reader that a, I don't adhere to and, and B like, no, yeah. <laughs> like you, no, I, if not, not if this is going to yeah. be like published and, and you know, and especially if you're a New York Times writer, like get it together. Yeah, from New York. <laughs> uh, but I guess I just like don't see it as like something that he's assuming of the reader, just because it is like he is a character. I'm just gonna talk about this book like it's fiction. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. So he is writing himself as a character in the book. So it's this character's opinion is not the broader assumption of what the reader's opinion is. It's the opinion of the character. So for me, like reading it, I'm like, wow, that's like a really uncomfortable way of like talking about somebody and really close minded. But you're just one of the characters in the whole scheme of the book. So I think the it, characters are likable enough and they speak enough for themselves that they create a narrative mm -hmm. that can be separated from the narrator. 
Yes. And that's the other point with Chablis. Like, I already like her. I don't care what he thinks about her. I don't, like, I mean, obviously it's uncomfortable the way that the narrator describes her. (laughs) Notice I keep saying narrator instead of author because I just, like. (laughs) Don't give him the validation. He's the narrator. He's the narrator. Um, (laughs) Chablis the author of her own story. (laughs) I like her enough that I don't really care what he thinks about her or like how he describes her. Like, I just like her and I want to know more about her. So, and she likes him enough to be like, come to my show. Like, and regardless of what, but I also feel like if I was working for tips, I'd also be like, and also if I was like, I have the potential to be in a story, I'd be like, I fucking love your homophobic, transphobic ass. Let's go. And if I was trying to get a ride home, fucking yeah. It, she's confident enough. Again, I'm I'm seeing this as fiction, so like as not necessarily a guarantee into a story. I'm just reading this book as fiction. <laughs> Honestly, I would suggest ed- everyone reading it as fiction because it makes it a better book. <laughs> it, I agree. So, obviously, we're not going in order of the characters anymore, and that's fine, because Shibli is honestly the only character I really care about. I like all the other characters, but, but she's the only one I really want to hear more about her life. What I want... Oh, my God. My favorite character, I'm going to read... It's not Shibli? Well, it's... Shibli is the story. Shibli is not the character. I do have other favorites, so you can tell me yours. I'm wondering if it's the same one, but tell me. It is fucking Serena, who is Luther's wife, and this is why. I I like her and hate her at the same time, and also I Luther is like her. I want to be her. I liked I liked Luther until he said something. We can talk about Luther later, but I like liked how creepy Luther was until a certain point. But I think it was a little racist. Yeah, um, he was very racist, and that's yeah. when I was like, oh, I actually can't really support this, but. Serena, I love her. I love her. In a in a villainous way. She's, like, such a villain. This is why. Uh, sorry, page 66. Serena thrived in this museum of her former self. She had a wardrobe that consisted of mostly uh, shorty nightgowns and... Some sort of lingerie, yeah. They revealed her still shapely legs and discreetly swathed her upper half in clouds of feathers and silk chiffon. She dyed her hair flaming red and painted her fingernails and toenails dark green. That aesthetic alone. I want that. Yeah. She bullied and wheeled. She railed and purred. She drawled and cussed and carried on. For emphasis, she threw objects across the room. Pillows, drinks, even Lulu the poodle. Every now and then... Oh, that makes me sad. (laughs) Every now and then she would sweep the dawses and cabots off the night uh, table with an oath and send them crashing to the floor. I love that image of a literal drama queen who is just constantly throwing a sta- uh, like a tantrum about everything. Yeah. I like yeah. her. I, it's funny, like, with this book, because I didn't really know when it was written, like, I knew it was written after the 70s because of how I, what I mentioned before, like, he, the narrator mentioned somebody dying in the 70s. Um, but I kept, like, having flashbacks to, like, the 20s, and, like, I think I just, like, saw her as, like, 
this flapper in the 20s, like glamorous, like she loved to be the life of the party. Even when she went out the way she described um, the uh, attack on her. Yes. I loved it. It was, and the the thing that made me like Luther is that he didn't care about anything that she was saying. (laughs) Like, he was just, he loved her anyways. He was just like, say whatever you want. Like, I don't care what you're doing. I care about these weird goldfish. Like, yeah. Like, I'm not judging you for who you are. I love you anyways. So cute. Yeah. And that she also didn't really give a fuck that he was, like, that he owns poison that could kill all of Savannah. She's just like, you're great, and it's fine. You do your goldfish thing, I'm gonna do my tantrum thing, and they're just like, yep, you do you, I'm gonna do me. The perfect odd couple. Like, (laughs) truly, yeah, aside from his racism. But, um, I mean, Georgia, I don't know. I've never been to Savannah, so I don't. I don't want to do a broad sweeping. Nope. But bold takes only. Bold claims. <laughs> Hot takes and I had a healthy pour of wine and I'm almost out of it. So that's where we're at. Um, okay, so let's talk about some other characters then. And one of one of my favorite characters is Emma. Do you not like her? No, oh. I love her. And I've been to her bar. Oh, really? Yes. Okay, so the place at which Emma's bar was is now at, like, a speakeasy style. Mm-hmm. And you can only get in if you have a special key. Oh, my God. That's so cool. And guess who was on a list of with people who got in with a special key? And it is the coolest place. And it is. Like, you can see the river, and there's somebody playing on the piano at the back of the thing. And it's, like, really long and narrow, and there's all these photographs all over the place and of, like, all these people, blah, blah, blah. And I think that this is, like, I'm sure that they've had to redo this, but part of it is carpeted, which is glamorous. Like, it stinks. It's terrible on the olfactory system, because that's a lot of beer and (laughs) shots spilt. Oh, yikes. But it's alcohol, so it's, like, sterilizing, I guess. Um, Mm -mm. But it it is the coolest thing. You feel like you're transported back in time, and... Like, I feel that way about a lot of Savannah, um, but that place, like, I love Emma, and I love, like, when I was reading it, I was like, yeah. oh my god, this can't, like, is this must be the same place, I like, da-da-da, because I was reading the description, and I was like, that's so cool. Emma is, she's pure. Yeah, I just, I think I like Emma, like, she is... I don't want to, I don't want to say mess because that's like a negative word, but like she is like so lovable that just her mishaps are like, well, whatever. Like, yeah, she's killed 10 What are you going to do? Oh, yeah. she, not, she can't really drive anymore. Whatever. Like, that's all right. Like, that's fine. Know. Yeah. She's like not good at other things, but like she's just like so lovable and everybody in her life like loves her so much and like. Even the way Joe, like, didn't want to tell her about um, Mooney, the bartender, stealing mm-hmm. from them. And then when he did, and she was like, oh, I know that. He deserves a second chance. And it's like, you're so, such a pure, sweet soul. I love you so much. Like, I just, that is, like, how I want to be in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone to love my flaws. <laughs> so. And be a great uh, piano player. 
And yeah. that's it. <laughs> well, maybe just the flaws. I mean, we haven't really done any of the piano stuff. <laughs> I guess you'd have to commit a little bit of time to doing that. Um, anyways, doesn't anyway. matter. Should we talk about this fucking book? Huh? I guess so. <laughs> okay. So who's our next character in this book? Also. Okay, so we we touched on Emma. I really like Emma. Why don't we go into Joe? Because we both are charmed by him. So, and he and Emma have the um, bar together. So, yeah. So Joe is racist for the most part. <laughs> but I just want to say, like, who in the book is not? I guess that's kind of my problem. Yeah, but I, not to, not to be, like, insensitive, but this is also written in Savannah in the 90s, like, it, it, they are racist, like, it's not, these are true, these are real people, like, this is really what they're saying, like, I don't want to say, like, I love somebody who's racist, but it's also, like, that's the world they live in in Savannah right now. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I feel like <laughs> Ariana cut that out. <laughs> Flag it. Flag. <laughs> Flag that. Um, um, I don't think it's an excuse. It's just, like, it's, it's a, it's, I think that I I the I don't know like it I feel like it's just the characters are so much more dynamic than that like I was saying with um Luther I really liked Luther even like his weird the fact that he like tied strings to flies I was like that's kind of cool I kind of like that he's weird and doesn't care and just like carries flies around town like what a weirdo I guess okay and, but this like, is my problem let your freak because if you were a person of color and you were doing odd shit like that, you would be under suspect so quickly. You would be, mm-hmm. like, brought in for loitering or some weird shit. Yeah. And because you're white, you can get away with it. And even with the thing with Emma, like, I love Emma, and it's not Emma's fault that this happens, but I, um, I did highlight her interaction with the police because she basically just, like, talked her way out of it, and it's like, oh, when the new yeah. policemen, like, don't know that it's Emma, like, they have to be corrected and be like, oh, like, no, it's fine, yeah. it's just Emma. And it's like, but that wouldn't happen if she was a person of color. Even if she yeah. was, like, a fantastic piano player, that wouldn't, she wouldn't be granted the same, like, leisure yeah. or, like. I 100% agree with what you're saying. And honestly, them telling that story reminded me of when Reese Witherspoon had her DUI and was like, do you know who I am? Like, I'm Reese Witherspoon. And, like, that's what I pictured in my head when I was, I was listening to it. So that's what I pictured when I was listening to it was Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like what you don't like is racism. <laughs> like, that's, like, unfortunately, I think that that's, like, something that, like we were talking about last week with where the crowd sing, either talk about it or don't talk about it. So like in this book, I think the way that they're writing the characters, they're at least talking about it. Like 
don't ignore the fact that that's a thing. But I think that there's also this, like, glorification, there's this glorification of the class that is racist and has, like, these deep-seated opinions about racism, and he doesn't present, like, I, I'm... I wouldn't say there's a glorification of them, though, because, like I, I said at the beginning, I think he talks pretty poorly about everyone. Like, I don't, at least the, the, the way the narrator talks about them, like, I agree with you that I think that it's a problem and like I will agree that it's still a problem today the way that people act probably more so but the way this book is written is like the it's a part of the characters and it sets the scene so like unfortunately that is the scene okay and it's just a way of setting the scene but I'm just saying if it had been you or I writing this book, we would fucking take hot takes and be like, this racist motherfucker said this shit. Like, you would highlight that they're being racist, that it's not okay that they're saying that. But you would ask questions and be like, is this what you meant? Did you mean to say the N-word when you just said this? Like, is that what you meant? And why? Like, Ugh, can yeah. we question that? Can we talk about that? Like, because he's printing that yeah. in his book. And even though it's accurate, he's not questioning it. He's not challenging it. He's not saying, like, oh, not your word. Okay. Maybe we yeah. don't say it. He's not saying any of that. And he it seems like he's tiptoeing around things because he cares about what they think. And obviously that is also, like, a thing of being a journalist that you do have to, you know, make, make it seem like it's comfortable to talk to you and blah, blah, blah. But you can also challenge people and still make it comfortable to talk to you. Like, you don't have to mm-hmm. just contend with their fucking language just because like you and I don't agree on anything that doesn't I (laughs) you and I don't agree on everything but that doesn't mean that I don't like you because of it we don't agree on anything let's get set the record straight (laughs) no I I I agree on with you on this I guess the way that I am seeing it And it's weird because I feel like I was super judgmental last week on the book and now I'm, like, not. But I think, like, the way it's all, like, making these characters. And so, like, I'm not reading it like this is my belief. I'm reading it as, like, this is what the narrator is saying about it. And so I'm trying to, like, understand these characters. And I, I feel like he's written them pretty well where I understand them. And I understand that they are racist. Like, and I think that that's like the point is like understanding that that's what Savannah was like. And the, him talking about the, um, interracial couple that was jogging was like a good example of that's the culture they live in. And that's the nineties. That's the mid nineties. And when I was reading it, I didn't realize that that was the mid nineties, but like talking about it now, like that's how it was. And that sucks. Like, and even though the narrator doesn't talk about it the way that I would talk about it, I still can interpret it as like, that's the way that things had to be. And like, just for people to like, get along and like live. And like, obviously, that's not how it is today. And in some parts of the country, that is how it is. And like, there are people who are not going down a tangent. But like, I think that it painted a good picture of, like, the way that these people lived and the way that the mindset was of these people. Because, you know, it's not, like, like, with 
um, it just like, I don't know. I feel like I understand like how these people are without agreeing with how they are. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I get what you're saying. I think I'm just like, I don't know. I just, I like, <laughs> it's hard to hear stories from only like one perspective or only, only representing people who are racist because Yes, of course that's a reality, and a, that's still a reality. Well, I would say then don't read a book set in the South. No, because there's also <laughs> black people in the South. There's also people of, like, of a million different... The, the South is largely diverse. So to say... Like, I'm, but I'm saying, like... Because that's, you can't that, that's ignore my it. problem with it. You, but that's my problem with it, is that it, it assumes that the South is is racist because your assumption is that your perspective is from a white person. But I think, like, what they're talking about is, like, he brings up different sides of it. So, like, he talks about the jogger, and he ends up, like, talking to the black male jogger. And he talks about it from that angle of, like, yeah, they're in a relationship. They just don't publicize it. Like, and unfortunately, that's how it has to be. But it's also, like that's how it is like again he's a journalist he's reporting on it like it's not like but saying that's that such that's a small interaction be. compared to all his other interactions with people yeah I mean again I hate the way he talks about Chablis and that's more of like a sexism thing but like it, it's I, yeah like I just I guess the way I see it is like the it's all these different characters and he's presenting them in a way of like it's representative of how they're thinking. It's not represent. It's not telling you to think that way. It's it's telling you how they are thinking. Yeah. That I mean, I don't know what else I could say about it. That's just how I've read it. Um, and to talk about like last week with where the crowd had saying the way the reason I didn't like that book and said that it was racist is because it didn't represent any point of view from of anyone. Any, yeah anyone else it was like very um it just ignored the whole fact and like the things that it did say about race was like really random and like didn't really it didn't drive the story story. it was where this this adds to the story like it paints the picture of like what the culture is like there yeah so and again not that I like think that it's great and not that I agree with it or think the way that these characters think but like I I can now see this character as a dynamic person for qualities I like and qualities I don't like. Yeah. Okay. Fine. (laughs) Yes! It's... What did you say before? When you're right, it's easy to talk about things. (laughs) To tell people their opinions are wrong because you're just right. Um, Okay, but I... (laughs) What I did like... Something that I did like about, like, where where he talked about a character <laughs> um, was, mm, and he didn't explicitly say this, but he talked about Danny about being, like, how Danny was a fucking manipulative piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was on page 139. Should uh, I to it? Where... He gets jealous because him and Corrine, 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 um, go to the, to the beach, um, 
like he drives her out there or whatever after they have sex in mm-hmm. a graveyard. Um, and like, yeah. Um, I don't, I didn't really love how the author just like talked about Kareen because he talked about how, like, she's a teenager when he's talking to her. And she is? Yeah. Do they say how old she is? They're both teenagers. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I thought he was in his, I thought he was in his 20s. No. Uh, he was in his late teens, she surmised. Oh. Roughly her own age. Oh, okay. And also she's a scatty daddy. That's people who go to SCAD. I don't know what that means. What's SCAD? Savannah College of Art and Design. Oh. Scatty daddies. Um, and okay. they say that in the book. But he goes... She designed her own clothes, which were always black, and usually emphasized her best features, her bosom and buttocks, which I'm like, fucking calm down. You're an old man. Yeah, you don't like the narrator. I can't. <laughs> I, but again, like, I know, it, you're right. I, like, Jesus. it's him. It's not, he's not telling you what to think. It's what he's saying. And you're like, okay, you're kind of a dick. But like. Okay, but this is, okay, but this is what I wanted to mention, uh, was on 139, or between 138 and 139, and they go to the beach, and then they see two of Corrine's, um, I think it's Scatty Daddy friends at the bar, and he's like, oh, like, he's all jealous, so then he drives her back, and, uh, and then he asks her to marry him, mm-hmm. and then she's like, uh, like, no, like, I literally just met you three hours ago. Uh, mm-hmm. and then he says, you're going to marry one of them two assholes at the beach, aren't you? He said softly. No, mm-hmm. she said, I don't know them well enough either. Sure you do. They got money. They got an education. What else do you need to know? She'd hurt him deeply and she was crushed. No, no. No, she fucking didn't. He hurt himself. That's like, I don't like. <sighs> she yeah. was uh, touched that he was so desperate to be loved. No, no, red flags all over. No, I had yeah, one... that is problematic. I will agree with you on that one. That the way that is written is it was him, he clearly is desperate to be loved, he clearly has something going on with him that we've seen from the first introduction of his character. Like, he is has like some problems that, um. It's not her fault. She no. didn't do anything. She's not responsible <laughs> for his emotions when he asked her to marry her, him three hours after they met. No, that's not fucking okay. And the fact that he he took her on a death ride, and that's manipulative. That's literally taking somebody's, like, life in your hands, and you can't make a smart decision after that. Like, if you if you were Corrine, Corrine to be in that Corrine. car ride... What? It's Corinne. If you were Corinne, <laughs> wait, I'll give a nice, a nice clean Corinne to get that clipped into every other time that I said Corinne. Corinne. Um, <laughs> if you're, if you're Corinne, you don't fucking, like, that's not okay. Like, you can't, then somebody asks you, like, okay, marry me after they just fucking nearly killed you. And then on top of that, after she, she says, you know, I had a wonderful time today. I really did. And he goes, oh, but you won't marry me. You'll never marry me. And she says, well, but I want to see you again. I mean, we can get together often, you know, and we can. And he slaps her. 
he physically attacks her. Yeah. That's not okay. It's not fucking okay. Yeah, it's not okay. Yeah. Did it actually happen? Curran is telling the character, I mean the narrator, John, this. Curran is telling him that this is what happened. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. Especially, like, she is, what, 19, let's say? Um, but I also think that that's a, that painted him in a picture of, like, he is, like, deeply disturbed. Yes, like, and that's what I'm saying. I like that the author described him as deeply disturbed because he is. Like, he's not, he's not a sympathetic character. Like, I don't fucking feel bad for him. I don't care that yeah. he fucking, like, okay, I care that he got killed because that's obviously different. But I don't care... I don't care about, like, this whole sob story of, like, oh, he needs a place to be and blah de blah Like, yeah, everybody does, but not everybody fucking kills somebody because of, or, like, or whatever. Like, you know, abuses yeah. people because of it, and that's not okay. And it's not okay to, yeah. like, to, to then, like, especially because he then, when he, when the police pull him over because he's speeding and all this stuff, um, and then he turns to Corrine. Corrine! <laughs> His face, once again, sweet, his voice, child, like, get me out of this, will you? Like, no, fucking no. You have to do yeah. your fucking time. But, so you don't like him, but the way that he's been written about, you understand who he is. Yes. And yeah, I, I think, like, like that. I, that's what I I, like. I see who he is, and I don't like him. No. But, like, I think that I don't like the narrator but I think he does do a good job of, like, painting the picture. At least, I mean, I don't know these people in real life, so he's painting the picture of how he perceives them. But I understand the way he's perceiving them. So, like, this um, Danny, that's his name, right? Danny? Yes. Danny, um, yeah, I don't like him. He's, like, definitely deeply disturbed. I'm very intrigued why he died. Like, I... I'm very curious of what happened. And I think that the author, the, narr the author, narrator, whatever, um, I think he does a good job of, like, at, at least I'm bought into these characters. I feel invested in them. At, like, I want to know what happened. I, I feel like I know them. Because of growing up in a small town, That's I do understand, like, especially this character, like... He obviously does not know what, like, even talking about mental health is. Like, there's, he can't even articulate his feelings, and I can see that. And it's maybe the way his tattoos are described, or, like, maybe the way that he is so, um, has, like, such a distorted image of what other people think of him Corinne specifically like thinking that it's okay to ask her to marry him like just like being like so in his own head not really in reality at all like definitely has something going on yeah he has no clear idea of boundaries because he lives with the person that he works for yeah and I also am really more curious about that and I think as in part two I'll learn more about that um, you will. Because I don't really understand that relationship. And, like, even the the author, narrator, I don't know why I just all of a sudden switch over to saying author. But the even though the narrator goes into it of, or, like, kind of touches on it, he doesn't actually dive into it. 
of why they're living together. He doesn't ask um, John, Jim, Jim. Um, Jimbo. He doesn't ask James. Yeah. He doesn't, like, press Jim on why Danny is, like, living there and, like, why he supports him. Because I, that's unclear to me, especially the way that Danny acts. If I was Jim, no way. Get out of my house. Like, you know, there's no way. You don't even work for me, let alone live with me. Right, exactly. So there, obviously there's something more, and I, and I wonder if it's sort of a thing of, like, I wonder if Jim sees himself in Danny, or, like, if, you know, obviously that is going to be expanded upon in the second part, and we'll get to know, like, why that's a thing, but, like, what is your reason for housing this fucking, like, not a degenerate, but delinquent, like, teen delinquent, like, what is your reason for being so invested in, like, him living there, like, you didn't have to house him, or if you did, like, put him in your fucking carriage house if you're so goddamn rich like why why are you letting him like even even the fact that he walks around the house with Corinne Corinne Corinne, Corinne. and is like yeah this is a king and a queen and Corinne's like mm, I'm pretty sure they're governors and he's like king and queens of Europe <laughs> he's he's childlike he doesn't have the ability to be mature enough to understand the responsibility he is a child. He's yeah. 19. I mean, like, that's technically an adult, but there are a lot of 19-year-olds who are children. There are a lot of 25-year-olds who are children. So, like, uh, there are a lot of 30-year-olds who are children. Let's just keep going. 45, 50, <laughs> 55. Anyways, I, there are people who are never going to grow up, but he is really young and for whatever reason that he is living in this house he clearly doesn't have other family like there's something more there's something deeper to his background and I just feel like I'm a little curious it doesn't I don't think that he's a good person and I don't really like I could take it or leave it if he's in the book or not but like I mean he's a pretty driving factor of the rest of the book so Okay, well, I mean, because he was murdered, but, like, from the part one, before I found out that he was murdered, it's like, uh, I don't really care about this character. Like, yeah, I, if you tell me more about him, I'm a little curious, but, like, I, he sounds like somebody I know. Like, he sounds like someone I dated. He sounds like somebody from my hometown, and, um, but I, yeah, I do think it's interesting to dive in, and I'm hoping that part two dives into his background of, like, why he is the way he is and why he's living with Jim and the demons that he faces because he clearly has some. Yeah, because he says, the narrator says, in it, in all that time, it never entered her mind that he could turn out to be so volatile. Well, and, like, it, it's, like, I don't know if it's just because, like, being a woman, but, like, putting myself in Corinne's shoes of being, like, shoot, like, this was not serious, and why are you, how could you be so, um, how could your opinion of this be so different from what I thought this was? And it talks about how she viewed him as, like, just, like, this sex thing, and, like, that's all that she... A walking streak of sex. Yeah. yeah, and that's all she really thought he was, like, no depth, really. Um, right, because also... Be like, wow, well, you really do have 
depth and it's like depth I don't want to be in. Like, I don't want to be in this deep end. I need to get out of here. Like, I didn't bring my scuba gear and I was planning on being like pretty surface level. Yeah. Yeah. To be like in the situation where you're in the car already, you're a passenger. What are you going to do? Jump, like open the passenger side door? No, you can't because somebody's driving it like a psycho. Like, yeah, you can't do anything at that point. Yeah. And well, it puts you in survival mode. Yeah. Because then you're like, what do I do? Then you actually do run through the scenario. Like, can I open the door? Like, what is our speed? Like, are we going to hit a stoplight? Can I get out? Like, should I unbuckle my seatbelt now? Like, all these things running through your head of like, how do I remove myself from this situation? But... I will say the narrator painted that really well and I could picture that and put yeah. myself in those shoes and I could see the situation for what it was, at least for what John wanted it to be. Yeah. Oh, we're on a first name basis now. <laughs> no, I don't like him. I'm calling him the narrator. I genuinely liked the way that he painted that because I put myself in her shoes and I felt like he pre- represented the way that she felt really well. And I didn't feel like he was, like, poo-pooing it or, like, making it not as big of a deal as it was. Like, I think it was, it was a big deal and he, he communicated that well. Yeah. Like, I think it, the fact that Danny slapped her and the way that the narrator presented that as, like, painting Danny in a really poor light um, was good. Like, it, I think it represented her well. And, like, it represented that Danny has a lot of demons. Yeah. Hot takes. <laughs> so many hot takes. Okay. So, from part one, there are a lot of characters that are introduced. Um, should we go through some of them? I like, would love to name them all just to give them all the recognition because they are real people. And so, that's good to do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I have them written down. I might not have written everyone down because I might have missed some people but so first is Jim Abrams is that his last name no Williams that's okay Williams yeah I wrote it in this green colored (laughs) pencil that was really light and then I forgot what his last name was was anyone named Abrams there was somebody named Abrams his enemy is Abrams no yeah no it's not what's his enemy's name it's Lee Alders Alders Okay. Cut. Start again. Nope. Keep all it in. Keep it the in. Characters. All the characters. So, Jim Williams is introduced first. Then you meet Danny. Um, the next person that I have written down, and I feel like there are people in between this, but I wrote down uh, Lucille Wright, who's the chef, and she she really is like not that big in the book but when she when he was talking about her I was like oh she must sound she must be important but she's like the caterer who they all use it's Joe Moore um Mandy and then Lucille because because the narrator realizes that there's parties going on next door and he gets well I have Joe and Mandy written down on my list I just wrote Lucille next okay well I'm just saying that Joe and Mandy get introduced first and then Lucille Okay, I'm going to, do you want to read your list? <laughs> I didn't make a list. <laughs> That's what I thought. Oh! Shut your trap. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Um, th- 
Okay, we can, you can pick out who you want to talk about in this list. I'm just going to go down what I wrote. I didn't write everyone's last name because I was just doing it willy-nilly. I didn't actually think I was going to go down the list of characters. Yeah. Okay. We could probably look up on, like, Wikipedia the list, but I'm not going to do that. We're not going to do that right now. If you want to look it up, listeners, fucking have at it. Please. Do whatever makes your heart happy. So the next is Mary Hardy, and I can't even remember who she is. So I don't remember who that is. Are you sure it's not Mandy? No, it's not Mandy. Then there's Joe and Mandy. I think Mary Hardy... Do you remember? Yes. Isn't it his... It's like the, the person who first knocks on... No, uh, his neighbor. Like the person who owns the house... That the carriage house is attached to. I don't know. I think so. Okay. Anyways, Joe, Mandy, um, Mr. Glover, Luther and Serena, Maggie. Who's Maggie? Oh, Serena's, it's Serena's, um. House person. House maid. Yeah. Is that what they called her? I forget. I They called people servants. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Okay. Anyways, Maggie, Emma, and then Shibli. And then that was the end of my list. I didn't write anyone after that. There's definitely more characters after that. I know. And I just didn't write anyone down. Did you write Emma down? Did you say Emma? Yeah, I just said Emma and then Shibli. Um, After that was the guy I can't remember that I think his last name is Abrams, but you told me is wrong. It's not. It's Lee... Alders or Adlers. I know that for a fact because my grandma's neighbor's last name is the same, and I know that that's true. I don't know why. Sometimes don't you ever just make things up? Okay. All the fucking time. What else is life so, worth living for? Um, I think they're very interesting, him and his wife, especially with all the gossip that goes around them. About them being Jewish? Um, yeah, and like... The fact that, like, so when Jim was introduced, I kind of liked Jim, but then I started to like Lee, but then people were talking poorly about Lee, and I was like, wait, I feel like I'm flip-flopping really back and forth about, like, who is even a good person, and uh, obviously all these people are dynamic, nobody is all good, and nobody is all bad. It's a Greg Wright world. I guess some people are. Yeah. Some people are pretty bad, but. Danny's pretty (laughs) fucking bad. Yeah. But. Yeah, so, like, living in the gray area between these two characters, between gossip that uh, the narrator is getting from around town, um, I think that it's really interesting. There's also the ladies from the Bridge Club, the um, Women's of Husbands Club. Oh, yeah. Gonna wait, I will look it up. Like, Wives something. I forget what it was. The... The Women's of Men Club. <laughs> they must be married club. Don't get divorced or you'll get kicked out. <laughs> they even said that like that. He even That's said actually in the book rule. that saved marriages. That I shouldn't say saved. No. Because I think that that's like save, a it prolonged bad way of putting them. It. Yes. I think he said saved, but it... It prevented some divorces. Ready for what it's called? Yes. Married Women's Club. Mm. 
Well, at least it doesn't specify, like, um, if they're married to a man or a yes, woman. it does. It does. <laughs> Oh, it adamantly lost. insists. Because also they have the one one day a month when the... Um, the husbands come. Yeah. The men can be invited, but it's a black, black tie event. And that's how um, the narrator gets invited. Yeah, which is, I thought was really funny. Not funny. Wrong word to use. I thought it was really interesting that it's like, okay, if you get divorced, you get kicked out of the club. But then this narrator who is single not even in a relationship, is now invited to the black tie event of yeah, the husband. Yeah, that's like, interesting. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, you're exempt from the rule rules if you're a fucking yeah. man. No rules. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. That was just, I just was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, classic. And then not even talked about because it was the norm. Like, he just gets to go. Oh, so I was also going to say about Jim, like, towards the, in the beginning, I was like, oh, this guy is, like, one of those charming people that I is, like, I'm, like, charmed by, but I hate. Towards the end, I really just didn't like him. Jim? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, one. I think he's just, like, extremely selfish, and I feel like, especially with the mm-hmm. way that he holds the invitations to his Christmas party, like... Like, you either, like, if you cross yeah. him, you're not invited and all this stuff. And it's, like, I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess I, once they introduced his arch nemesis is when I really didn't like him. Lee. Yeah. Um, because then I was, like, okay, this person is, yeah, people talk, are gossiping about Lee and talking poorly about him. But in reality, he is trying to be a good person, at least, like, for... The way I see it. I think that he is. Is he? <laughs> Don't. And Lee's not doing a fine job restoring work at all, she went on. He's gutting the houses and ripping out nice little Victorian touches. That's hearsay. That's gossip. Except that gossip is worth something. I know, but what I just think, like... You know, these people don't like him because he's Jewish. They That's can true. say whatever they want. Like, Yeah. And how they're like, oh, the Oglethorpe Club. And he, the old guy is like, no, they let Jews in. They just don't let that Jew in. <laughs> yeah. They only let non-Jewy Jews in. Which Sorry. Is, I think, why I, like, take Lee's side on things. Like, yeah, maybe he's missing the mark a little bit on what his intentions are. But I don't know, like, I am more inclined to believe that he's, has good intentions than... Because at least he's doing something. Yeah, Yeah. at least he's doing something. At least he's, like, you know, whatever. But maybe we'll learn more in part two about that, because I feel like there was more to it that they didn't really get into, because right now it is all just gossip and people talking. Yeah, yeah, because I also think, like, okay... Um, there's a part where they talk about how Lee and Emma, like, Lee's wife, Emma, different than the Emma from the bar, uh, to clarify for our listeners. Hopefully, if you're listening, you've read the book. Uh, that when they go to meet Prince Charles, uh, and Emma goes, um, 
She carries on great length about the sweet black cook she took with her and how the cook had made mm-hmm. a, blank, a basket a basket of pine needles for the prince that she had worried for weeks about how to present to him. Emma did not find fault with the cook's somewhat childlike preoccupation with her basket, though the basket didn't have anything to do with the issue of housing either. Emma appears to have a double standard, one for educated journalists and one for simple black cooks. From this, one might draw the conclusion that Emma has a uh, patronizing attitude towards blacks. So, like, it also seems like potentially there's still a lot of problematic shit for them to work through, you know. Yeah. But I think that's a good example of, like, painting the scene because that is a problem of, like, how do you help without being patronizing I mean like in the 90s that was like something that was like a big thing it still is a big thing like it's it's like what is the right way to approach things and like how how do you help without being patronizing and like you know for her it could have also again been just misconstrued that way like, because wasn't it one of the other people in town talking about that, saying, like, why was she bragging about taking a black cook with her? Like, it, it's not, like, it's not coming from her mouth that she's talking about it. It's someone else telling you about what she did. So it's kind of, like, I think it just goes along with, like, the gossip that goes on and the way of, like, things can be misinterpreted and maybe like yeah like I said it before maybe they are missing the mark a little bit but at least and they actually I think the narrator even says this in the book like at least they're doing something like they're they're not just talking like maybe they are maybe their intentions aren't as great or like maybe they are missing the mark and not delivering the way that like they are presenting to the rest of the world but they're the ones who are going in there and restoring things and actually doing something about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you're, you're not wrong. I think, I think Savannah is just like full of gossip. At least the elites that he's, the crew he's in is just like gossip, 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 gossip. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's crazy. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really it's fun like to be Everybody there. talks about everybody. And it's like, not not that you necessarily not that everyone loves to gossip but like you know what does um Shibli call it the tea yeah everybody likes to hear the tea nobody's gonna turn down tea like people like it and you know whatever yeah. um I think I remember who Mary Hartley is I don't remember how she was introduced but she is the one who took him to the cemetery right oh the one with the gray hair piled on top of her head and she's the reason, like, when he first comes to Savannah, she's the one who, like, takes him on the first tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who she is. She's his connection. Yeah. Um, but, so, when she, when him and her were talking in the cemetery, I was like, wow, people, because she was introduced right after Jim, I'm pretty sure, or, like, shortly after him. I can't remember if Joe and Mandy were introduced before, but, um... It was, like, both of them loved to kind of be braggy about themselves, but in a way of, like, gossiping. Like, it was, like, a weird mix of bragging, gossiping, like, 
it's just everybody wants to spill the tea and have like make you feel special like they're telling you something special yeah um and bring you in on like the secrets uh and probably for him because he is a journalist from New York that people did find give him special attention but I just thought that was like really interesting and I think it does paint the scene like I haven't been to Savannah I don't know what it's like there but it makes me feel like I know what it's like there like that people are gonna gossip about you and like that's just the way it is yeah people will have opinions on what you do yeah and circles interact like and intersect in ways that like you can't you don't even imagine that they do until you're like you're witnessing it happening and then you're like so much there's like yeah but oh I guess what we were talking about was Lee and Emma and the uh, quote-unquote philanthropy work that they do um like what all we've heard about it so far so far is let me say that again all we've heard about it so far is through the gossip vine like that's and that's it and so it's like well no we heard from lee alder as well also i'm pretty sure it's adler now that i've been looking through the book well okay i don't really remember what was gossip and what he said about it but well oh he took lee him takes to him on a tour to see the yeah. houses and then he introduces yeah. him to one of the tenants yeah but like again i would hate for an enemy of mine to be telling you about me like, because that, you know, like, and I feel like anyone would feel that way. Like, people who have shit to say are obviously going to talk poorly about you. Yeah. So, like, if I'm trying to do something good, like, restore a part of town, and people are like, yeah, but, like, the restorations are shit. It's like, okay, well, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> drinking your fucking wine, sitting on your ass, judging me? Like, I guess that's just how I feel about it. Like, that's what we're doing, though, to all these authors. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? Okay. Anyways. No, because that I feel like they're not all doing good. No, I agree. I agree. I don't know these authors. I don't even <laughs> like to call them by name. I will call them the narrator. Fucking John. I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with sitting on your ass drinking wine and judging people. And also, it's a pandemic, sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what's your excuse, fucking Savannah elite? Yeah. But, again, I feel like it sets the scene for, like, how it is in Savannah. That's just, like, what the culture is there. Like, they're going to be judgmental. They're going to talk poorly about you, especially if you're different and you don't fit in. They have none of it. Yeah. So I think that's started that's very much changed now, but well, in the time frame of this book. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know what time it was when we were reading it. Um, is there anything else from like part one that you feel like we didn't cover enough that doesn't carry over into part two? No. I mean, no. Not that I, I can think, think like of. all all that part one ends with is that um, Jim is accused of murdering Danny. Should we read the last line of part one? 
Sure. If you have it ready. I do. Okay, go for it. Uh, okay, I'll do the last paragraph because the last line doesn't make any sense. Ariel, we have two hours. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wouldn't joke about a thing like that. That's what it says right here in the paper. It says, James A. Williams shot Danny Lewis Hansford, 21. It happened inside Mercer House. They got a big old picture of your friend James A. William on the front page, but they ain't got one of the 21-year-old. Damn it, and that's the only one I want to see. Did Danny Hansford die, I asked. He must have did, honey, because they're charging Miss Williams with murder. And that's read by Shibley. And that's the tea, sis. And that is the tea. And that's how they end part one. So, again, like we talked about James, Jim, James slash Jim, and Danny, and even Shibley. So, mm -hmm. and the narrator, who doesn't deserve to be named. Um, <laughs> hot take. Um, okay, so I guess what, that's where we end for now. Next week we'll do part two. Um, yeah. and I'm excited for, to see the rest. Like I said, I'm really invested in these characters. I don't think there's much else to wrap up with the book. Um, so but. It's not wrapped up yet. It's yeah. we got time. With the, I was going to say chapter, not chapter, with the first half. Part. I think that was very, um, in-depth, annoying. <laughs> Just kidding. That is a very in-depth, um, not professional overview of what happened. Speak for yourself. Um, hey, we don't claim to be professionals. That's fine. Speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, fine. I don't know how to read. <laughs> but anyways, thanks for listening. This is Books We Hate with Angelica. And Marielle. Bye. Bye.